Chapter Eight of Marjorie Dean, High School Sophomore by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Eight: The Latest Sophomore Arrival. Though the evening of the dance had been deceitfully clear and balmy dark clouds banked the autumn sky before morning and the day broke in a downpour of rain it was a doubly dreary morning to poor little mary raymond and over and over again longfellow's plaintive lines into each life some rain must fall some days must be dark and dreary repeated themselves in her brain yes rain had indeed fallen into her life the bitter rain of false friendship all the days must from now on be dark and dreary last night she had danced the hours away secure in the thought that marjorie would not fail her and marjorie had spoken no word of explanation during the drive home she had talked gaily of the dance and of the boys and girls who had attended it she had related bright bits of freshman history concerning them but on the subject of constance stevens and her affairs she had been mute mary fancied she had purposely avoided the subject in this respect she was quite correct marjorie still a little disturbed over her promise to constance had tried to direct mary's mind to other matters deeply hurt rather than jealous mary had listened to marjorie in silence she managed to make a few comments on the dance and pleading that she was too sleepy for a night owl talk had kissed marjorie good night rather coldly and hurried to her room Stopping only to lock the door, she had thrown herself on her bed in her pretty evening frock and given vent to long, tearless sobs that left her wide awake and mourning far into the night. It was therefore not strange that lack of sleep, coupled with her supposed dire wrongs, had caused her to awaken that morning in a mood quite suited to the gloom of the day. A vigorous rattling of the doorknob caused her to spring from her bed with a half-petulant exclamation. "'Let me in, Mary,' called Marjorie's fresh young voice from the hall. "'Whatever made you lock your door? I guess you were so sleepy you didn't know what you were about.' Mary turned the key and opened the door with a jerk. Marjorie pounced upon her like a frolicsome puppy. Wrapping her arms around her chum, she whirled her about half the length of the room in a wild dance. Let me alone, please. Mary pulled herself pettishly from Marjorie's clinging arms. Why, Lieutenant, what's the matter? You aren't sick, are you? If you are, I'm sorry I was so rough. If you're just sleepy, then I'm not. You needed waking up. It's a quarter to eight, and we'll have to hustle. Captain let us sleep until the last minute. Now, which are you, sick or sleepy? Both, returned Mary laconically. I, that is, my head aches. Poor darling, 
was Marjorie a naughty girl to tease her when so sick? Marjorie sought to comfort her chum, but Mary eluded her sympathetic caress and said almost crossly, Don't baby me. I, I hate being babied and you know it. Marjorie's arms dropped to her sides. I didn't mean to tease you. I'm sorry. I'll go down and ask Captain to give you something to cure your headache. She turned abruptly and left the room, deeply puzzled and slightly hurt. What on earth ailed Mary? The moment the door closed, Mary pattered into the bathroom and banged the door. She hurried through her bath and was partly dressed when Marjorie returned with a little bottle of aspirin tablets. One of these will fix up your head, she declared cheerily. I don't want it muttered Mary. My head is all right now. That is what I would call a marvellous recovery, laughed Marjorie. I wish Captain's headaches would take wing so easily. You know what dreadful sick headaches she has sometimes. She had one on the first day I went to Sanford High and I had to go alone. I remember, nodded Mary carelessly. That was one of the things you did write me. I wrote you lots of things, retorted Marjorie lightly, failing to catch the significance of Mary's words. But now you are here, I don't have to write them. I can say them. Then why don't you? was on Mary's tongue, but she did not say it. Instead, she maintained a half-sulky silence as she walked to the wardrobe and began fingering the gowns hung there. Selecting a blue serge dress, made sailor fashion, she slipped into it and began fastening it as she walked to the mirror. Marjorie stood watching her with a half-frown. She did not understand this new mood of Mary's. The Mary she had formerly known had been sunny and light-hearted. The girl who stood before the mirror, grave and unsmiling, was a stranger. I'm ready to go downstairs. Mary turned slowly from the mirror and walked toward the door. Beneath her quiet exterior a silent struggle was going on. Should she speak her mind once and for all to Marjorie, or should she go on enduring in silence? Perhaps it would be best to speak and have things out. Then, at least, they would understand each other. Then her pride whispered to her that it was Marjorie's and not her place to speak. Marjorie must know something of her state of mind. At heart she must be just the least bit ashamed of herself for shutting her out of her personal affairs. Had they not sworn long ago to tell each other their secrets? She had always kept her word. It was Marjorie who had failed to do so. No, she would not humble herself. Marjorie might keep her secrets for all she cared. She was sorry that she had ever come to Sanford. Now that she was here she would have to stay. If she wrote her father to take her away, her mother would have to be told. Mary was resolved that no matter what happened to her, her mother must be spared all anxiety. She would try to bear it. Marjorie should never know how deeply she was wounded. 
she would pretend that all was as it had been before. Mrs. Dean looked up from her letters as the two girls entered the dining room. Hurry, children, she admonished. You haven't much time to spare. These social affairs completely break up army discipline. Look out you don't go to sleep at your post this morning. Who's sleepy? Not I, boasted Marjorie. I feel as though I had slept for hours and hours. Your army is ready for duty, Captain. Lieutenant Mary's headache has been put to root, and everything is lovely. Are you sure you feel quite well, dear? questioned Mrs. Dean anxiously. She noted that Mary was very pale and that her eyes looked strained and tired. I'm quite well now, thank you. The ghost of a smile flickered on her pale face. Did you enjoy the dance? It was nice in Connie to give it in your honour. We are all very fond of her and of little Charlie. Mary's wan face brightened at the mention of the child's name. Isn't he dear? she asked impulsively. Mary has stolen Charlie from me, put in Marjorie. He adores her already. I don't blame him. So do I, and so does Connie too. We three are going to have splendid times together this winter. During the rest of the breakfast, Marjorie regaled her mother with an account of the dance. Mary said little or nothing, but amid her friend's merry chatter, her silence passed unnoticed. "'Wear your raincoats,' called Mrs. Dean after them, as their breakfast finished, they ran upstairs for their wraps. Fifteen minutes later, they had joined the bobbing umbrella procession that wended its way into the high school building. "'You'll have to go to Miss Merton, Mary, and be assigned to a seat.' She didn't give you one yesterday, did she? asked Marjorie. You can put your wraps in our locker. We are to have the same lockers we had last year. Connie and I have a locker together. There is lots of room in it for your things too. I'll task Marsha Arnold to let you in with us. She has charge of the lockers. Mary's first impulse was to decline this friendly offer. On second thought, she closed her lips tightly, resolved to make no protest. Later, well, there was no telling what might happen. "'Don't be afraid of Miss Merton,' was Marjorie's whispered counsel as they crossed the threshold of the study hall. "'She can't eat you.' "'I'm not afraid.' Mary's lip curled a trifle scornfully. Marjorie treated her as though she were a baby. I have come to you for my seat, was her terse statement as she paused squarely before Miss Merton's desk. Miss Merton glanced up to meet the unflinching gaze of two purposely cold blue eyes. Something in their direct gaze made her answer with undue civility. Very well, I will assign you to one. Come with me. She stalked down the aisle, Mary following, to the last seat in one of the two sophomore rows, and paused before it. "'This will be your seat for the year,' she said. "'Thank you.' Mary sat down and took account of her surroundings. 
Across the aisle on one side, Susan Atwell's dimpled face flashed her a welcome. On the other side sat a tall, severe junior who wore eyeglasses. The seat in front of her was vacant. Marjorie sat far down the same row. Mary could just see the top of her curly head. It still lacked five minutes of opening time and the students were, for the most part, conversing in low tones. Now and then an accidentally loud note caused Miss Merton to raise her head from her writing and glare severely at the offender. Susan Atwell leaned across the aisle and patted Mary's hand in friendly fashion. "'I'm so glad you are going to sit here,' she said in an undertone. "'I was afraid Miss Merton would put some old slowpoke there "'who wouldn't say boo or pass notes "'or do anything to help the sophomore cause along.' "'I'm glad she put me near you,' returned Mary affably. "'She had made up her mind to win friends. "'They would be indispensable to her "'now that all was over between her and Marjorie.' "'I don't imagine that tall girl is very sociable.' "'She is a dig and a prig,' giggled Susan. "'You'd get no recreation from labour from that quarter.' Mary echoed Susan's infectious giggle. "'Who sits in front of me?' she asked. "'No one yet. Who knows what manner of girl is in store for us? "'That's the only vacant seat in the section.' The first late arrival into our mists will get it. I don't believe we'll have any more girls, though, unless someone comes into school late as Marjorie came last year. It's too bad. It makes an awkward stretch if one wants to pass a note. I always am caught if I throw one. Last year I threw one and hit Miss Merton in the back. She was standing quite a little way down the aisle. I thought it was a splendid opportunity. I'd been waiting to send one to Arma Linton, who sat two seats in front of me. The girl between us wouldn't pass it, so I threw it, and it went further than I thought. Susan's fascinating giggle burst forth anew. She rocked to and fro in merriment at the recollection. Mary found herself laughing in concert. Just then the opening bell clanged forth its harsh note of warning. The low buzz of voices in the great study hall died into silence. Every pair of eyes faced front. Miss Merton rose from her chair to conduct the opening exercises. A sudden murmur that swept the hall caused her to stay sternly. Silence! Then, noting that the eyes of her pupils were fixed in concerted gaze on the study hall door, she turned sharply. A black-haired, black-eyed girl whose elfish face wore an expression of mingled contempt and amusement advanced into the room with a decided air of one who wishes to create an impression. Mignon, gasped Susan. Well, what do you think of that? End of chapter 8 Recording by Ashley Jane